your Bibles tonight to the book of Joshua, chapter number 7. I love what, uh, what our governor said uh, last week about his main job being to protect the people of Texas. And uh, he has made some statements that's not very popular with a lot of people, but uh, he did so... Uh, out of a heart of concern for our state. When he made that statement, I naturally, being a pastor, I started thinking about, you know, my responsibilities and, uh, and God-given responsibilities, not those that are self-assumed by any stretch of the imagination. And, and I realized that I have a responsibility to as a pastor, to protect and provide for the church the best that I can. And I want to talk to you tonight about that. This is something that God had just put on my heart. And I uh, want to talk about one of the things that uh, help you protect yourself from. And it actually might surprise you because one of the things that I want you to to protect you from is you. And the same thing applies to me, by the way, because we are our own worst enemy, believe it or not. So many times we look around at society and we think, boy, Hollywood is so rotten, it's, you know, no wonder our nation is going down the tubes. We think about Washington and we think, my, all of the politicians are dishonest. It's no wonder that, you know, that we've got such problems in our nation. And I believe all of those things are actually just the fruit of the actual problem. The root of the problem has to do with, uh, with God's people more than anything else. The greatest threat to this church is from within this church. Uh, you know, several of our founding fathers made the statement about America that, you know, if we were ever destroyed, it would be from within, not from an attack by an enemy without. And and uh, and I think we can see the handwriting on the wall when it comes to a lot of stuff that's going on in Washington today. It's never the water outside the boat that you need to worry about. It's the water in the boat. The water gets in the boat. All of a sudden, you've got you've got a problem. And so, uh, if the church is to be safe, then we as the members must be godly. Now, the problem with that is that we all still have the vestiges of our old sinful nature, even though we've been saved, even though we now have a new nature. If you're a Christian, you're not who you used to be. You are a brand new you. The Lord gave you a new nature. It's no longer natural for you to sin and rebel against God. You have a new nature, but the vestiges of that old nature are still within you. And by that, I mean there is still that propensity to yearn for things that you don't need, things you shouldn't have, things that are... Uh, working against you. And as long as we're in this world, we're never going to get to the point to where we're not tempted by sin. There will always be some sin. It might be the sin of self-righteousness or whatever, but there will be some sin 
that'll be attacking us. And our selfish pride so many times gets us into trouble because we all of a sudden find ourselves more concerned about what we desire than we are about what God demands. Now think about that. We get more concerned about what we desire, what we want to do, rather than what God demands for us. You, you, you know, a lot of times when we get what we want, we lose what we have or we lose what we need. By that, I mean that sometimes winners, winners become losers, and they bring about their own downfall. I've heard several stories about people that won the lottery, and then later on they made the statement said, I wish I'd never won all of that money. It has done nothing but make me miserable. It's done nothing but ruin my life. And so what appears to be a winner can turn out to be a loser. And that can happen in a lot of different ways. It might be someone that receives a large inheritance. That might be the worst thing that could ever happen to them. You know, talking about really, you know, good, decent people, and they all of a sudden receive a large inheritance, and they've got all of that money, and and all of a sudden they're, you know, they're concerned about nobody but themselves. It, it might be getting a promotion. You know, that can happen even in a church. I've seen it over and over again. Really good, hardworking church members that you could depend upon, and they were so faithful, had such a sweet, loving, caring attitude, and you think, you know, that person would make a good, you fill in the blank, whatever. And so eventually you install them in that office in the church and they become a terrorist or something. I mean, all of a sudden you can't get along with these people. All of a sudden, you know, they, they think they want to run everything. I'll never forget years ago setting the treasurer down and, and telling him, look, buddy, you write the checks. None of that money belongs to you. You write the checks, and that, that you know, that, that's all your job is. It's not up to you how we spend the money. Uh, and whenever I say I need a check for something, I expect you to go in and write the check instead of, you know, giving me that old <coughs> grumpy look like that, you know. And uh, but, but anyway, what I'm saying is a lot of times really good people end up doing bad things and where they could have prospered, all of a sudden they find themselves with a heartbreaking situation. Now, the reason I mention all of that is because that is exactly what we see in this story here in the book of Joshua, chapter number 7. I want you to notice the very first word of this chapter because it is it is telling. Notice it says here, but. But. The first word speaks volume. Someone said that... Uh, it is one of the scariest words in any language. And most of the time, whatever follows that is not good. You know, it's like whenever somebody says, well, look, you know, I, I, I don't aim to be critical, but, <laughs> yeah, you know, I, I, don't, I don't aim to be judgmental. You know, I don't want to judge you, but... And, and, and here they go. That's exactly what they do. And that little word has been the turning point in many people's lives. It's the point where ter- things turn from good to bad, from joy to sorrow. 
And it could be said about a lot of the different characters in the Bible whenever you read about them and talking about, you know, really good, faithful people. But I was talking to one of the, our deacons this morning. We was having a conversation about something and got to talking about the fact that, you know, all of the main characters of the, of the Old Testament failed at their strong points. You think about Abraham, known to all of that great faith and what have you, but he, uh, what he did was about as stupid as, as, as anything anybody could do. Think about Solomon, known for his wisdom, and where did he fail? Well, he failed in regards to a lack of wisdom. We think about David, the man after God's own heart. Where did he fail? Well, you know about his failure, don't you, you see? And so many times the victories that we've won in our life, the talents that we possess, the positions that we occupy, and you can go on with that list, those very things that are for us work against us. And so this chapter opens with that word, but, and the rest of it, is going to tell us the sad story. Now, here's the situation, verses 1 through 5. But the children of Israel committed a trespass in the accursed thing. For Achan, the son of Carmi, the son of Zabdi, the son of Zerah of the tribe of Judah, took of the accursed thing, and the anger of the Lord was kindled against the children of Israel. And Joshua sent men from Jericho to Ai, which is beside the Beth, uh, Beth-Avon on the east side of Bethel, and spake unto them, saying, Go up and view the country. And the men went up and viewed Ai. And notice they returned to Joshua and said unto him, Let not all of the people go up, but let about two or three thousand men go up and smite Ai and make not all of the people to labor thither, for they are but a few. So there went up thither of the people about three thousand men, and they fled before the men of Ai. And the men of Ai smote them about thirty and six men, for they chased them from before the gate, even unto Shebarim, and smote them in the going down, and therefore the hearts of the people melted and became as water. Now, in case you're not up to date on what's going on here, Israel is just coming off of a great victory. Anybody know where that happened? Jericho. Jericho. Wow. You know, you look back at that story and... You think about the situation that they were in and the marching orders that they received of the Lord and nothing really seemed to make any sense at all. Marching around Jericho, you know, and the walls falling down flat and all of that kind of stuff. And, and you see, God designed all of that so that it was obvious that He was the one giving them the victory. And you, you know, I, I think God does that in our lives too, don't you? In His sovereignty, so many times we're trying to figure out why this happened, why that happened, or, and, and so forth. And it's, it's God working in such a way that He alone can receive the glory for whatever it is that we're able to accomplish. So they have just won this great battle. I mean, you know, they are, 
they are rejoicing. Remember, now they're in the promised land, the land flowing with milk and honey. This has been their destination since they left Egypt. This is what they've been looking forward to, that wonderful land that God has promised them. Now, believe it or not, anytime you're coming off of a victory, that's always a dangerous time. You're on the mountaintop and you've had a wonderful spiritual experience. And I'm telling you, you're about to be attacked by Satan. I'm telling you, there's going to be great temptations that's going to come upon you. And we must never content ourselves with what we've done in the past because there's still work to be done. There's still battles to be fought and wars to be won and things to be accomplished. You know, the very thing that causes some churches to die is the fact that they have prospered so greatly that after a while we get to, well, we just get lax, don't we? Because, you know, we think, man, what a wonderful, great church we've got. We've got the most wonderful people on the face of the earth. And we can just go on and on just gushing over all of the good, positive things that can be said about the church. And by the way, I think there's a time and a place for that. We are, we are, I think, wise to commend one another and speak well of the church and what have you. But there are times that a word of condemnation is more helpful than a word of commendation. And there's times, in other words, that we need to realize that whatever we have accomplished, whatever we have received, whatever has been done, whatever the past record is, wherever we are right now at the present, none of that will suffice for tomorrow. There's still work to do. They entered into the promised land. God gave them Jericho. Now there's this little old city of Ai, just a little old bitty town, not anything really to worry about evidently from what they're saying. It ought to have been a very easy victory, right? But they suffered a crushing defeat. They sent 3,000 troops up there. They lost 36 of their men in the battle and turned around and ran out of town and back to the camp. Now that's the situation. Now notice beginning in verse number 6, the search that took place. Because, by the way, when something like that happens, it's wise to find out why. Thirty-six men have died. That's wives without their husband, children without their daddy. An embarrassment to the nation. Joshua rent his clothes and fell to the earth upon his face before the ark of the Lord until the eventide and the elders of Israel and put dust upon their heads. And Joshua said, Alas, O Lord God, wherefore hast thou at all brought this people over Jordan to deliver us into the hand of the Amorites and to destroy us? Would to God we had been content and dwelt on the other side, Jordan. You've heard me say on many occasions that all of us sometimes act out of character. 
And we've got, to, we've got to be careful in judging one another because there are sometimes people, you know, something will upset them. They'll get all bent out of shape and they'll say something that they ordinarily would never say. And, and instead, of, instead of just, you know, getting on that person's case and marking them off of, your, off of your list and having nothing to do with them, try to understand the situation they're in. I mean, you would never think that Joshua, of all people, would make a statement like this. I mean, he has been a hero to this nation. Here's a man that trusted God to give them the victory, believed every promise of God, and now he says to the Lord, Man, I wish we'd just stayed over there on the other side of Jordan. We'd have been better off over there. Why would you even bring us over here? Remember, he's talking to the Lord. Oh, Lord, what shall I say? (laughs) I'm amazed that it doesn't say, shut up, you've already said too much. (laughs) Lord, what shall I say when Israel turneth their backs before their enemies? For the Canaanites and all of the inhabitants of the land shall hear of it and and shall envire us around and cut off our name from the earth. And what wilt thou do unto thy great name? You, you see, the defeat brought about anguish, and it caused Joshua to start searching for the answer. And that's the wise thing to do. Something is going to awry in your life all of a sudden, disaster has hit, all of a sudden, you know, everything's going downhill and you find yourself out of the will of God and God stripping you of His blessings, it's a good thing to start trying to find out why is this going on. Now, there are going to be instances in your life where things like that's going to happen and believe me, regardless of how hard you search, you're never going to find the answers you that you're looking for. Because there's some things that are just beyond our understanding. I think about Job, of course, and his situation. And Job was looking for answers. And God wasn't talking. And God may not reveal everything. But the fact of the matter is, we ought not to just assume. When bad things happen to good people, we should not just assume, well, it's just one of those things that just happened. We ought to start examining our lives. And this is what's going on here. Joshua is trying to figure out what went wrong because anytime we fail as God's people, it is inexcusable. And so the, the prayer, the, the search rather, starts with prayer. Did you notice that? That's the way, that's the way it ought to start, with prayer. You know, a lot of times we want to depend on the counsel of others and so things are going wrong in our life and we go to them and lay it out before them, you know, like, well, what do you think about that? Well, have you talked to the Lord about it at all? And so we need to pray. But at the same time, when I read that, I wonder to myself, why didn't they pray before they went up against Ai? It says nothing about them saying, look, You know, we've conquered Jericho. Now, the next city on the list is Ai, and we're going to go up and, you know, take Ai. But let's let's join hands and pray about this. Nothing is said about prayer. 
In fact, they were so cocky, so overconfident that if I read this right, they didn't even take the ark of God into battle. They said, we don't need but two or 3,000 men to go up there. This is going to be an easy victory. They don't even take the ark. Now, remember, the ark represented the presence of God. And it's like them saying, you know, there's an old country song that, uh, in, well, in some ways, I hope you've been, never even heard it. But it says, I can handle this job all by myself. And, you know, that's kind of what their attitude was. We, we got this, Lord. You know, don't worry about it. They're not inquiring of the Lord. They're, they're just going out and doing what they think is next on the agenda. And as a result, they suffered this horrible defeat. Now, beginning in verse number 10, we, we see what, what the sin was. Verse number 10, And the Lord said unto Joshua, Get thee up, wherefore liest thou upon thy face? Israel hath sinned, and they have also transgressed my covenant, which I commanded them, for they have even taken of the accursed thing, and have also stolen and dissembled also, and they have put it even among their own stuff. And therefore the children of Israel could not stand before their enemies, but turned their backs before their enemies, because they were accursed, and neither will I be with you any more, except you destroy the accursed from among you. Now remember when they entered the promised land, the Lord said, all of the land before you belongs to you. The houses that you didn't build, they're now yours. The vineyards that you didn't plant, you never spent a minute of labor in those vineyards and I'm giving it all to you. A land flowing with milk and honey, but the first fruits of the land belong to me, God said. And you just leave that stuff alone. That belongs to me. After that, everything else is yours. And they have taken of the accursed thing. You know, maybe you're thinking, well, no, no, it was Achan that took it. And But wait a minute. It said Israel sinned. So in other words, the entire nation is affected by the sin of this one man. And God is holding them accountable. You know, we could talk a lot about Achan's sin, the sin of covetousness. I, he said, I, I saw it and I coveted and, and then I took it. We could go on talking about that sin. But let me tell you, any sin is dangerous, regardless of what it is. You know, we might be here tonight and here we're reading this story and we're thinking about Achan and we're thinking, well, you know, well, this isn't for me because I, I don't have that problem. I'm just as content as I can be. I, I don't covet after anything. I've really got a, I've really got a handle on this. There's no problem in my life. I haven't been guilty of this. But there's some sin that, you know, that all of us must confess to because none of us are in a state of perfection. And, uh, if I read this right, it seems that Achan at this point in time had in mind that, you know, no harm, no foul, 
If nothing, if nothing bad happens, if nobody finds out, you know, I don't need to deal with this issue. So he hid, hid the stuff in the tent. And he's thinking to himself, as long as nobody knows, everything's all right. But the problem with that is that somebody always knows, and that somebody is the Lord. And we see how the sin of one person can affect many. Remember what Paul said about the church? He said, a little leaven leaveneth the whole lump. It affects the whole lump. You put a little leaven in the dough, and the entire loaf of bread is going to be affected as a result of that because it diffuses itself among all the rest of the dough. And and the point is that every member of the church, every member of this church has an effect upon the entire church body. And there's so many times, you know, we try to figure out, well, yeah, you know, maybe we've been through a drought, hadn't been anybody saved, nobody joining the church, not much going on and so forth, and we start trying to figure out, well, why is this, you know? But there's always a reason why. We don't know what it is. And there's so many times I think that we as a church assume that as long as so many, there are so many professions of faith being made and so many people being baptized in the course of a year and so many new members joining the church, you know, that we don't need to start examining ourselves and looking for sin in our lives. And, and we just assume that whatever, you know, old sister so-and-so is doing, we all know about it, you know. But, but, you know, it's not really hurting anybody. Yes, it is. It is. You, you can believe it or not, and as much as God is blessing this church we have some members that are dragging us down and holding us back. We've reached a time in our church where we no longer even want to talk about church discipline. Oh, the pastor can bring it up. He can be the bad guy and say, uh, you know, look, folks, it's time. Everybody knows what so-and-so's doing. It's public knowledge, and it's time that we dealt with it and the you know, the preacher can put it on the agenda and bring it up and split the church. You see, church discipline doesn't really work unless the, by far and away the majority of the church realizes it's their scriptural responsibility and they get on board. And the difficulty with that is when we start talking about church discipline, sister so-and-so or brother so-and-so, whoever it is, we start talking about them and the fact that the church needs to take some action because they're holding us back and dragging us down and they're hindering the work of the Holy Spirit in the church. And the Bible tells us, you know, that we're to discipline those kind of people. And nobody wants to bring that up. You know why? Because usually it, if it's not them, it's somebody close to them that's doing something else. You know, so many times we want to get so-and-so but we want to ignore the others. I'm talking about others that might have a different sin. You know, it's all right to get so-and-so, but uh, uh, don't, don't you dare bring up that other person. And if we're going to practice church discipline, we've got to do so 
without showing favoritism. And without also without having the wrong spirit toward people because it's never to punish people. It's to help restore them. So the search is on. They've been instructed. They've been warned already. They took of the first fruits. Now, let's get down to the solution to the problem. Verse 13. Up, sanctify the people and say, Sanctify yourselves against tomorrow. For thus saith the Lord God of Israel, There is an accursed thing in the midst of thee, O Israel. Thou canst not stand before thine enemies until ye take away the accursed thing from among you. In other words, I mean, look, God is serious about this. He says there, you're not going to get another victory. You're not going to win another war until you deal with this issue. So the only solution for them was to find out the sin and correct the issue. And we never deal properly with the sin issue in our life until, until we actually deal with it. That's the solution. So many times we want to skirt around that, you know, and things are not really going good in the church. And we think, well, you know, what we, what we really need is uh, we, need, we need to start a, a new Sunday school campaign. Oh, we'll start this. I mean, it'll bring them in. It'll get people excited. The church will start growing again. Look, they could have tried anything they wanted, and they would have suffered one defeat after another after another until they dealt with the sin issue. And that's what happens. They go on, and you're familiar with the story. Verse 16, Joshua rose up early in the morning. You know, Joshua could have said, Now, Lord, I I really plan on dealing with that, but right now is not really a good time. I mean, after all, we've got 36 funerals to plan. Not really a good time for me to start, you know, uh, digging around for see who the sinner is. Not a good time. He could have put it off and let it drag on and on and on. He got up early in the morning. I mean, there is no delay. There should never be any delay in dealing with sin. So he gets up early and the search begins. And, well, as you know, he finally, look at verse 19. Joshua said unto Achan, My son, give, I pray thee, glory to the Lord God of Israel, and make confession unto him, and tell me now, what hast thou done? Hide it not from me. And Achan answered Joshua and said, Indeed, I have sinned against the Lord God of Israel. And thus and thus have I done. And when I saw among the spoils a goodly Babylonish garment and two hundred shekels of silver and a wedge of gold of fifty shekels weight, and I coveted them and took them, and behold, they are hid in the earth in the midst of my tent and the silver under it. And, of course, Joshua sent messengers, and they ran into the tent, and behold, it was hid in the tent, just like he said. 
What a sad story this is, and especially we're not through yet. Sometimes we do things that we can't undo. Even though we receive forgiveness for the sin that we've committed, we have to suffer the consequences. And I want you to see that an aching heart can lead to an aching heart. A heart like Aiken's, Aiken can bring great heartache into your life. And, and notice as they go in, they discover what happened in Joshua verse 24, and all of Israel with him took Achan, the son of Zerah, and the silver and the garment and the wedge of gold and his sons and daughters and his oxen and asses and his sheep and his tent and all that he had. And they brought them into the valley of Acre. And Joshua said, Why hast thou troubled us? The Lord shall trouble thee this day. And all Israel stoned him with stones and burned them with fire after they had stoned them with stones. You know, the confession of our sin takes care of the past. But it doesn't always remove the consequences. Now, I know maybe what somebody is thinking, well, this just doesn't seem fair, that not only was Achan put to death, but his family and even the children of those that were guilty. You know, let me say this as kindly as I know how. How dare you to judge God? Who do we think we are? But we look at that and we think, well, wait a minute, how can it be that God would allow something like those little children being put to death? God didn't have anything, you know, to, or they didn't have anything to do with it. You know, think about it this way. Sometimes, you know, we think about God taking a child, little child, and and I don't know what you believe, but I believe until we reach an age of accountability, I, you know, I believe... I believe babies go to heaven. Little kids that aren't yet accountable to God go to heaven. Wouldn't it be better for God to take a child that has not reached the age of accountability and for that child to go to be with the Lord than for God to allow that child to be raised in a home to where they are misled, deceived, and consequently they begin to embrace false doctrine, and reject Jesus Christ as their Savior? Am I making any sense? Am I getting through to you? Look, I'm telling you right now, I don't understand why God does all of the stuff that He does, but I know that He never makes any mistakes. He doth all things well, the Bible says. I want you to notice three things, and I'm through quickly. Notice the dangerous course of, of Achan's sin. Here's the deadly temptation. Notice here in verse number verse number 21, you ought to underline these phrases. The deadly temptation I saw. Then notice the desire I coveted. Notice the disobedience. He says, I took. 
And then notice the dishonest cover-up. He said, I hid. I saw, I coveted, I took, I hid. And then you see the destructive consequences of the sin that was brought up upon that family. But then the last thing we see is the divine cure. You see, listen carefully. Their demise was the divine cure for the sin that was in the camp. You know, a lot of times people get to wondering, you know, they think, well, it just seems like the preacher is so just overly concerned about, you know, what the members are doing. And, you know, maybe he ought to just butt out and it's none of his business. Well, I'm concerned for two reasons. Number one, I'm concerned for what they're doing to themselves. That bothers me. Bev and I was talking this afternoon, and boy, she just really hit the nail on the head when we was talking about something and wondering about someone. And, and, and I think the way she said it was, well, I hope everything's okay. And then she turned around and she said, you know, we worry about the church members just like we worry about our kids. And there's a sense in which we do, naturally. But I don't, I don't want to see the members of this church hurting themselves. But I don't want, look, I don't want to see them hurting the church either. I, I saw, I coveted. You know, he could have stopped right there. What a different story that would have been. He saw those things, he coveted those things, but just suppose for a minute he had said, Oh dear Lord, what am I doing? How can I not be satisfied? How can I not be thankful? We are in the land of promise. God has been so good and given us all of these things. How dare I covet those things that are forbidden? Had he stopped right there, all of this other could have been avoided. The 36 soldiers that died, plus the sorrow he brought upon his own family. But he said, I saw, I coveted, and I took. And I don't know, maybe maybe even then, there would have been, you know... uh, a good chance he could have avoided all of this. I saw, I coveted, I took, and then I realized this is the stupidest thing I've ever done. You know, I, I'm going to go tell Joshua. I'm just take, I'm going to take this stuff to him and tell him, look, General Joshua, I'm I'm so sorry, and and I, I'm I'm going to make this right with God. He didn't do that. He he started to cover up. He tried to hide his sin. And it cost him dearly. Don't, don't hurt yourself, folks. Whatever you do, whatever you do, don't endanger this church and don't hurt yourself. Don't you hurt your family. If there's sin in the camp, 
Dig it out. Search it out. Confess it. Get rid of it before it's too late. Let's stand. Father, how we thank You for Your mercy that the mercies that are new every morning, were it not for Your mercy, Lord, we know that we would be consumed and rightly so. We're so thankful for Your mercy that withholds the judgment we deserve and we're so thankful for Your grace that gives us blessings that we don't deserve. We love You and thank You for all that You've done, not because of us, but in spite of us. And I just pray tonight that You'll use this story out of ancient history to remind us of the great responsibility that we have to one another. And may we never be guilty of doing anything that would bring shame and reproach upon the name of Christ or anything that would hinder His church. Now, Lord, whatever it is that You'd have us to do tonight, I just pray that we'll be willing and give ourselves to Your will right here, right now this evening. In Jesus' precious name.